I always tell people I'm a worshiper first before I'm a pastor and a, and a preacher. That's what I am first, so I love to worship. But it's something about seeing your faces from this side that's incredible. And it's a true joy and privilege that I have to stand up here um, Sunday after Sunday and share God's word with you and look upon your faces and see your love for the Lord, the love for his word, and just the sheer joy that you receive from hearing the gospel. That's a unique privilege that a pastor has. Sunday morning is the one time I get to meet with all of you. Um, I get to meet with you privately, but Sunday morning is the one time I get to meet with all of you. And certainly it's a blessing and a privilege to be here today. Well, Romans chapter 8, um, I'm going to finish off the prayer series today. And then next week I'm going to start a, a series on Romans chapter 8. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that next week. But today I'd like to close our series on prayer a little bit differently than I've been going through it. Normally I would give you a passage and I'd work through that passage and tell you this is how you should pray in terms of instruction from God's word. But today I want to address something that I think is germane to all of us with respect to prayer. But first I'd like to read God's word. And I'm only going to read a first uh, small portion of this text because I'm going to deal with it in its fullness starting next week. But then I'll also use the surrounding context to fill in um, the passages that I have not read. So let us read Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, you've brought us here today to hear from you. And already we have heard from you and been, we've been encouraged by the singing and the special music and the reading of scripture and the prayers. And so now, as we gather around your word, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Encourage us, I pray, in Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. In my time as a pastor, I've uh, read and studied uh, the Bible um, in terms of what the Bible has to say about prayer. And if you're in the habit of taking notes, I want you to write down two things that the Bible and external literature principally teaches us about prayer. And here they are. First of all, the Bible teaches us that prayer is the most important thing we do as Christians. It's one of the most important acts that we do. In fact, the very definition of a Christian is someone who prays to God and God hears them. The second thing you need to know about prayer is this. It's also the most difficult thing you can do as a Christian. 
And so if you put those two together, you'll notice why oftentimes we struggle with prayer. And Jesus actually captures this in Matthew 26, 40 through 43, when he was in the garden with his disciples. Um, He goes to Peter and his disciples. He said, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what does Jesus mean by that? Jesus means simply by that this, that for you and I, we, we have every desire to pray. We, we want to pray. We want to be faithful in the task that God has given us to pray. But our flesh is weak. Our flesh oftentimes recoil against praying. And our flesh often makes prayer difficult. And for many of us, there's a lot of guilt and shame surrounding prayer. In fact, as one notable pastor said, if you want to humble a Christian man or woman, just ask them about their prayer life. And I've been humbled on many occasions. Now, for you and I, we've heard many sermons on the importance of prayer. I've read many books on the importance of prayer. But today, I want to focus on the difficulty that comes with praying. Prayer is difficult. We need to know that. We need to understand why. And so for the next few moments, I want to encourage you by talking about the difficulty in prayer. And through that, my prayer for you is that you will see the difficulty but not allow those difficulties to prevent you from doing the thing that God has designed you to do, which is to be in union and communion with him. That's, that's what we're going to do. So the first thing I want to talk about is why do we struggle in prayer? Why is prayer so difficult? Well, look at our text. The text tells us why it's difficult. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So Jesus tells us why it's so difficult for us to pray. It's because we're weak. Now, let me say this at the very beginning. I'm going to give you the big takeaway from the very beginning of the text in case you fall asleep. Write this down again if you're taking notes, because this is important. In our Western American society, weakness is often uh, seen as a liability. Believe it or not, I used to play sports back in the day. And when I played sports, one of the things our coach would do after he called a timeout, he would say, hey, they're weak in this area, and I want you to exploit that weakness. And so we would do that. We would exploit whatever weakness it is. So so we've been trained from very early on to think that weakness is a liability. Nobody in here that's responsible for hiring staff hires staff based on their weakness. It's never done. No one in here uh, hires a plumber who's weak at plumbing. If you have electrical problems, you don't hire an electrician that has a weakness in fixing the electricity. You don't do that. No one hires based on weakness. But mark this down. One of the beauties and powers of the gospel is that God uses the weak. He uses the weak. Because of God, our weakness is never a liability. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's something that we are called to glory in. It's something that we see as a blessing. Because it's through the weakness 
that we see the power of God most manifested in God's people. So from the very beginning, I want to make that clear. That our struggle in prayer, yes, it's based on our weakness, but don't allow that weakness to hamstring you and prevent you from doing the very thing that God has called us to do, which is to pray and be in union and communion with him. Now we can leave and go home, right? But you haven't heard from me in three weeks, so give me 20 more minutes. And I promise I'll keep it at 20 minutes. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, whenever you come back off of a long vacation, you take an hour. I do not take an hour. I take 55 minutes. That's a little less than an hour, but I'll keep it short today. Now, what does Paul say about this weakness? First of all, Paul tells us the reason for this weakness. Notice with me in verse number 20. Paul says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying this, The reason for our weakness is the fall. The reason why you and I are weak in prayer is because we've lost communion with God. That you and I, when we were created, were created to be in union and communion with God, and that was fundamentally lost. Now listen to me, all of us know the pain of being uh, separated from someone we love in terms of not being able to talk with them, not having sweet communion with them. I remember early on in my marriage, I, I, I always struggled to know how to reconnect with Teresa when we had an argument. She was good at it. I was awful at it. And I remember one time early on in our marriage, uh, we had a disagreement, and I was in the wrong. And so I was trying to figure out, how am I going to reconnect with my wife? And so she was in the kitchen, and so the first thing I did was I, I waddled into the kitchen. And she was watching, uh, washing dishes, and so I went on the side of her to wash dishes. And so she moved around the house, and I moved around the house with her until finally I just walked up to her and gave her the side hug, you know, the Christian side hug. And she looked at me, and she said, well, aren't you going to say something? <laughs> and I said, well, isn't this enough? But it's not enough, and we know that. Beloved, there's nothing like being out of sorts with the person we love. And even today, it pains me when me and my wife are not in sweet communion with each other. There's a weakness there. And Paul says that one of the fundamental realities that you need to understand as a believer is you struggle to be in communion with God. And here's the reality of it. And Paul doesn't say this, but this is true. You were made to be in communion with God. That's why you were made. That's why you're designed that way. That's why we communicate. We are meant to communicate with God. And Paul says that has been fundamentally broken. And there's a weakness there. But then Paul shows us the depths of that weakness. Notice with me in verse number 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us with our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. What does he mean by that? 
We do not know what to pray for as we ought. For Paul is talking about the depths of our weakness. The fact that not only are, do we struggle to be in union and communion with God, but we struggle to even communicate with God the deepest parts of our need. That, that there's something about our nature that makes it difficult for, even the, for us to communicate our deepest needs before God. Let me uh, illustrate it like this. I, uh, Theresa and I lived on a, we had a neighbor, and our neighbor had, uh, her husband had Alzheimer's. And she couldn't afford to bring in anybody, and so she kind of asked me, she said, Dennis, would you mind helping me take care of my husband? And I said, absolutely. It was a joy to do, to be able to do that. And so we would go over, and we would uh, move him around and change his diaper and give him baths and, and help him, essentially. Well, in the midst of doing this, so often he would, he would just groan, and he would make noises. And when I would look at her and I said, well, what is he saying? She said, Dennis, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. And she would trouble, true shoot, define, or is he hungry? Is, does he need something? Is he hurting? But, but she couldn't do it. And it was a great source of frustration and sorrow for her. As she tried to care for her husband, and her husband obviously was trying to communicate with groans. She couldn't do it. Beloved, that's us. Even the most articulate person in here, the most educated person in here, the most gifted at communication person in this building today, you fundamentally struggle with communicating your deepest needs before a holy God. Let that sink in for a moment. There is no one in here that's an expert at praying. There's no one in here that has the gift of prayer. You might have the gift of faith and praise God. But hear me today. There is a deep weakness all of us have with respect to prayer. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. But notice the universality of this weakness. You say, Pastor, what do I mean by the, what do you mean by the universality of the weakness? Notice all the plural pronouns that he uses to describe the nature of our weakness. Again, let's read the text. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us with our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, know, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. So notice there's a universality to this, that each and every one of us inside here today has the same weakness. And you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, why is that? So uh, why is that necessary for us to understand? For this reason, if all of us understand that we all struggle with prayer, then there's a great comfort in our shared struggle. I remember there was a season in my life where I struggled with prayer. 
It was a dry season. And, and you know, whenever you're going through the dry season in prayer, it's bad. I mean, I, I woke up early to pray, and I, I fell asleep, and 30 minutes later, I woke up. Or I'll be praying for, for my wife, and next thing, I'm praying for the, the toy robots on my kids' uh, ground uh, uh, floor. Just wild, crazy things. See, your mind can't focus. And I remember uh, I picked up a book by John Piper. It's called The Legacy of Sovereign Joy, and it talks about um, God's triumphs of grace in the lives of great men and women in Scripture. And I happened to be reading the story of Martin Luther. And in 1521, he found himself struggling mightily. And here's what Luther said as he wrote to Melanchthon. I sit here at ease, hardened and unfeeling, alas, praying little, grieving little for the church of God, burning rather in the fierce fires of my untamed flesh. For the past eight days, I have written nothing, nor prayed, nor studied, partly from self-indulgence, partly from another vexation handicap. Now, for those of you that don't know Martin Luther, let me take a moment to remind you of who he is. Martin Luther, the Augustinian monk, was responsible for initiating the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther wrote one of the most uh, noted works in Christian theology on the Lord's Prayer. To this day, it's in the top three of Christian publications on the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther prayed fervently and passionately for his people. And his prayers are noted to have a powerful influence in Germany during that, that time. So we're not talking about someone who's given over the struggles. We are talking about someone who God used mightily. And even he said that he struggled in prayer. So what's the takeaway for you and I? Simply this. All of us struggle in prayer. That's not a liability. That's an opportunity for the power of God. It's an opportunity. Yes, I know sometimes you probably lay down to pray or you kneel to pray or you stand up to pray and your prayers feel incoherent. You feel like you are falling asleep. You're tired. You struggle. You get antsy. You get distracted. But that's part of the human condition. God knows that you are willing, but the flesh is weak. And I want you to observe something else. Notice that this weakness is continuous. The Bible says that the Spirit helps us. It doesn't say that the Spirit takes away your weakness. So what, the, what does that mean? That means for as long as we live, we will struggle with praying. It's a continuous weakness. It never goes away. You never get to the point where you are this awesome prayer warrior. That's not a thing. You will never grow out, out of, of struggling with prayer. It's continuous. It's universal. It's deep. And yet, if I left you there, that would not be encouraging. Because it's one thing to observe our weakness. It's another thing to know how to overcome that weakness. And that's where the text ultimately takes us. 
Notice with me in verse number 26, Paul tells us how to overcome the weakness in prayer. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So first and foremost, how do we overcome the weakness in prayer? Well, it's through the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit helps us. Who's the us being referred to there? Notice it's the saints, verse number 27. By virtue of our union and communion with Jesus, we are given the spirit that helps us to know how to pray. Now, the word help there, even though we read it, and we might understand it, we don't understand the depths of it. I remember, uh, most of you know, um, when Theresa and I moved here from Pensacola, um, a friend asked me, uh, he said, how's the move going? And I said, oh, it's going great. The, the church really helped me uh, in the move. And so he said, oh, how do you mean they helped you? And then I started going down the list. I said, you know, well, they, they gave me money to move, and, and, you know, all these people showed up in our house, and they put away all of our stuff, and someone fixed our, uh, you know, somebody fixed our dryer, somebody mounted our television. I went through this long list of all the ways that they helped us to move. And my friend uh, said to me, oh, I thought you said they helped you. That sounds like they did everything for you. I said, yes. Yes, I guess they did. You see, when we read this passage and we see that the Spirit helps us, we might think, well, it, the Spirit gives us a little nudging. The Spirit kind of works a little bit along with us. That's not the meaning of this text. The help that the Holy Spirit provides here is a complete and total helping of our spirits in order for us to be even to, to pray. Let me give you some examples. First of all, this text tells us that, our, that, that the Spirit acts sort of like a lawyer. Notice what the text says. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The word there, intercedes, is that of a lawyer interceding on behalf of the client. And notice it's a double intercession because later on um, in verse number 27 it says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Over and over the passage tells us that the Holy Spirit acts in the same way that a lawyer does, going above and beyond the call of duty to intercede on behalf of us before the Lord. That's one way the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. But another way is the Holy Spirit acts like a surgeon. In the same way a surgeon puts a pacemaker in our hearts to keep us in rhythm, so the Holy Spirit works in our spiritual hearts to keep us in rhythm with the Lord, to give us those desires. The Holy Spirit also acts as a prompter, a prompter to be able to give us the words and what to say. I remember when I was young, I used to think that newscasters had the best memory in the world. As a little kid, you know, you're foolish. You don't know anything. And so I thought, how do those people remember all that stuff? Until I learned about a prompter. And they just read off a prompter. Well, beloved, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you the words for you to be able to pray. Young children, particularly, 
I read constantly that among demographics in the life of the church, young people particularly struggle with prayer because they simply don't know what to pray. Well, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit gives you the words to be able to say if you ask him. He speaks to your heart and you pray those things back to him. That's what the word of God tells us. I have several more, but I'll just do one for the sake of time. In this passage, the Holy Spirit also acts like a dear mother that takes our groanings and makes sense of them. You say, Pastor, what what do you mean? Notice in verse 27, uh, sorry, verse number 26, it says, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, in some case, we could read this and say it's the Holy Spirit that does the groaning. But in actuality, the text is saying that the Holy Spirit translates our groaning to God in order to help it make sense. I'll give you an example of this. When I was in seminary, um, you know, I, I didn't really spend a lot of time with our children. Uh, you know, I was going to classes, I was working, I was out of the house a lot. And I remember one day I came home and I said, Teresa, you've been working hard. Why don't you take the day and, and I'll, I'll keep Maddie? Because we only had Maddie at that time. And so we planned it and she left. And so after she left, about an hour later, Madison started crying and I had no idea why. And I tried everything I can, but finally I said, well, I got I to gotta call Theresa. So I called Theresa and I said, hey, Madison's crying and I don't know what to do. And she was like, well, let me hear her. And so she heard her a little bit and she said, oh, that's her hungry cry. Why don't you give her a bottle, add some formula in it, and then give it to her and she'll stop crying. And she did. She stopped crying. And then uh, about 30 to 45 minutes later, she started crying again. And I'm like, why are you crying now? I just fed you. And so I called Theresa again on the phone. I was like, hey, she's crying again. And, she's, and Theresa's like, oh, oh, you know what? That sounds like her burp cry. Why don't you try to burp her and she'll, she'll quiet down? And sure enough, I did. I, I, I did that and, and I burped her and she stopped crying. I'm like, wow, my wife is, uh, you know, she's some kind of wizard. Well, anyway, about an hour and a half later, the same thing happened again. I was like, man, I'm not going to troubleshoot this now. I just called Theresa and did this, you know. <laughs> like, What's going on now? And she said, oh, oh, you need to put her to bed. But don't just put her to bed. Like, lay her next to you, let her fall asleep, and then take her and put her in her crib. And so I did that, and wouldn't you know, she went to bed. Now, here's the point I want to make to you, and this is important. In the same way my wife was able to interpret the cries of her baby, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, if you are in union and communion with the Holy Spirit, if you are a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit, by virtue of his communion with you, the closeness of the Holy Spirit with you, he is able to understand your groanings, your cryings before the Lord. Why? Because the same intimacy my wife had with her daughter is the same intimacy 
the Holy Spirit has with us. Now, beloved, I want to return in closing. I want to return to something I said before. This is why weakness in prayer is never a liability for the Holy Spirit. It's an opportunity to manifest the great strength of the gospel in each and every one of us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Who among us could say that apart from the gospel? He says we are content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think of how paradoxical that is. That our weakness is seen as strength. How can this be, you say, Pastor Dennis? Well, it's because of the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit in us. He takes our weak prayers that we send up for our marriages, and he blesses them. He takes our weak prayers that we send up for our society and what is going on right now in our country. They might seem insignificant and weak, but he takes those weak prayers and he strengthens them. That's the power of the gospel. Now, what is the big takeaway here? The big takeaway is simply this. Number one, pray even though you're weak. Don't let the weakness of the flesh prevent you from praying. Yes, you might be falling asleep. Yes, it might be incoherent. But remember this, God can take those weak, incoherent prayers and work mightily through them. Remember, it is not the eloquence of your prayers or the coherence of your prayers that move the heart of God. It's the simple act of praying in weakness that moves the hand of God. Secondly, remember this one fact. There is no prayer that returns void. No prayer that returns void. Every prayer that you and I pray is taken by a holy God and he is working his purposes out. That's why right after verse 26 and 27, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. How is that possible if it were not the reality that our prayers accomplish the goodness and majesty of the Lord? And lastly, you need to know that prayer, even weak prayers, has the power to transform us. Beloved, faithful, weak prayers produce strong, vibrant Christians. And if you're in here today and you say, well, Pastor Dennis, I, I'm not a Christian, actually. I'm, I mean, I, I think Christianity is okay. Would, would God hear my prayers? The answer to that question is, of course, yes. Um, my wife and I, uh, several years ago, started reading a book, The Midford Series. Anybody ever heard of The Midford Series? There's a, there's a prayer in there. They call it the prayer that never fails. You know the prayer that never fails? Thy will be done. You know, if you're an unbeliever in here today and you don't know Jesus, you might say, well, I don't have access to the Spirit. But if you pray the prayer of repentance and faith in Christ, the Word of God says that God hears those prayers because it's in accordance with His will. And by the way, any prayer that you pray that's in accordance with the will of God, he will answer it, however weak 
they might be. Father, we thank you that even in our weakness, you manifest your strength. I'm thankful that my prayer doesn't depend on eloquence. Our prayers do not depend on how much knowledge we have. Our prayer does not, does not even depend on how earnest we are. I'm thankful that the only requirement for prayer is our weakness. And it's in and through our weakness we see your power manifested. And so I pray for each and every one of us that we may pray, however short, however incoherent, however meek. And Lord, I look to you to use our prayers to transform us, to transform our society. In Jesus' name, amen.